Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kyle Fincham. This is Behind the Movement. My guest is Samantha Emanuel. I'm excited to share this conversation with you, as I always am. Um, and as always, I will uh, quickly make my announcements and, and not waste any time and get right to it. Um, lots of infinite play workshops that I'm uh, sharing here in Europe until about the end of October. Um, on September 25th, I'm doing a two-hour jam in Brussels on October 20 or October 2nd and 3rd. I'll do a two-day workshop in Barcelona. That's hosted by Tom Wexler of Movement Archery. Depending on when you're listening to this, today's the 17th. Tomorrow, the 18th, is the last day to sign up and uh, get early bird pricing on that. Um, so if you're interested, highly recommend uh, sending an email um, today or tomorrow. You can go to my website or you can just go to movementarchery.com and there's a, a events or workshops page there. And then on October 9th and 10th, I'll be in Milan for a two-day workshop at Natked City Life. Um, again, you can go to my website or you can just go to natked, N-A-T-K-E-D.com. And then on October 23rd and 24th, I'll be in Paris um, with uh, Movement Practice Paris. And yeah, all that info is, is on my website, kylefintram.com. Um, and then we'll kind of direct you to all the places you need to go. Um, it's busy. We're kind of running all over here. And we might even squeeze in one more event, but I will keep you updated on it. Um, but by the end of October, beginning of November, we'll be back in the U.S. And I already have an event scheduled in Brooklyn on November 13th and 14th. So um, you can go to my website to sign up for that as well. That's what I got. It's a long, it's a long list. Um, we're leaving Lisbon, and I want to send out a huge thanks to uh, Tiago and Andre at um, Movement Lisboa for making us feel at home, making us feel welcome. Uh, we got to go take a class with them the other day, and it was really wonderful. If you're coming through this area, can't recommend what they're doing enough. Um, great group, amazing class. Yeah, highly recommend. All right, so those are my announcements. Let's get to it. I spoke with Samantha uh, last week. Um, she'd just given birth to her second child, I think six or seven weeks ago. And uh, so it meant it was my, my first conversation with two people because Samantha was there. And of course her newborn baby uh, was on the call as well uh, and makes some adorable cameos. So keep your ears open for that. Um, if you're not familiar with Samantha's work, let me give you uh, a little bit of her background here. Samantha is a leeway movement coach and inspired by fighting monkey instructor, Pilates Matt Qualified, and holds a BPJ EPS Pro Sports Instructor Diploma. 
She has traveled the globe as a professional belly dancer with a Hollywood company and taught workshops internationally for 20 years. A mother of two girls, one currently six weeks old and the other six years old. She works in collaboration with, with physiotherapists at a local clinic. She brings a non-linear pedagogy into a clinical setting for patients and clients through playful movement exploration and dance as therapy. This month, she launched a sold-out collaborative project with Luke Davies of Back to Roots, an online 12-week-long internship designed to merge the art and science of movement in order to create the alternative we would all like to see in, her, in current healthcare systems. Uh, I'm familiar with a, a number of people who are, uh, are doing the internship. Um, so I hope to be able to jump on the next one maybe in 2022, it seems amazing. Um, yeah, I really, really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, and I think you will too. So let's not waste any time. Here it is, my chat with Samantha Emmanuel. That was um, John and Jeremy, who you know. Yeah. John Yuan and Jeremy, fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for leeway. I, uh, I'm a big fan of uh, what they're doing. Yeah, I love them. Yeah, how did, how, did you, how did you link up with that? I, so I was, <laughs> I was smashed uh, in an accident uh, three years ago. And during my rehab, I started searching around and I came across John's Instagram. And then from there I discovered OMU and I joined OMU and, and that's where kind of the whole movement journey began for me, moving away from belly dance and into movement rehab because I was rehabbing myself and I was using what I was learning with John and OMU as part of my own rehab and then incorporating that into what I was teaching other people and I ended up working at the physiotherapy clinic where I did my rehab which is where I work now mm. um, yeah using this movement thing <laughs> that we do mm -hmm. um, with patients and clients very cool I feel like there's a lot of people who have kind of like moved from like the dance space into this movement space. And in some ways it was like, it's like this nice kind of like opening that's like created Necessary. like opportunities for people, you know, coming through the dance world, like for like a, another step or another direction. Yeah. yeah. I feel, I feel like there's, I never really thought of connecting the two before they were always like rehab is the thing you do when you get injured and, and it's separate from the professional dance space. But I guess getting injured myself and then falling deep into movement made me realize how much the dance experience feeds into the movement coaching to non-dancers. So I'm bringing dance to people who would never want to dance or would never admit they were dancing or if I used the word dance would run a mile. <laughs> <laughs> and then realizing how actually there's so many tools within that that can help people in recovery and um yeah it yeah 
everything basically what I've learned over all these like 20 years of exploring is that it's all the same thing it's mm -hmm. simple uh, it's movement and movement makes people happy and when they don't get to do it they're not happy and so my job now is getting them back doing it no matter what style that might be or what that might be called because i think a lot of energy in especially in the dance scene that i was in there was a lot of energy sort of wasted i would say on arguing about what was authentic and what was this style and now if it doesn't have this movement it's not authentic or, um and i i always said if you put as much energy into practicing as you did into arguing over what's right and what's wrong this art form would be way more respected and and we would just be better at what we do um and i believe that more and more now of course explore um like respecting the roots so exploring and studying the roots of different dance styles uh is really important but i feel like getting stuck in one box um, is detrimental to mm -hmm. your physicality and mentality from my experience and I've been around a while <laughs> <laughs> and I also experienced injury myself from doing the same style for many years and holding like the same carriage or posture in the especially the upper body I had a lot of neck and shoulder pain and I think I realized you have to cross train and be open to other styles of movement in order to avoid these kind of chronic injuries. Mm -hmm. um, and that's something I'm focusing on more and more in the rehab work with people. Mm -hmm. um, what was the dance style that you were, you were doing or that you were focused on? It was tribal fusion belly dance. So... <laughs> It, it came out of um, San Francisco and it took belly dance and folkloric styles and modernized it, I would say, because it brought elements of hip hop and contemporary and Indian and flamenco and fused them all together into this beautiful style that I had never seen anything like it before. And I completely fell head over heels in love with it. They moved like they were made of liquid mercury it was insane like the spinal waves and um yeah the the upper body carriage and the control and the isolations like um i became very obsessed and this was in the days before youtube so it was vhs videos and like the beginning of dvds but mostly vhs and just teaching myself because there wasn't anyone doing that style in the uk at the time and then I went to San Francisco and studied it with the originators of the style and ended up joining a company directed by Miles Copeland in uh, Hollywood. And we did a lot of touring. Um, I think I was the only non-American in the troupe at that time. There was 15 of us crisscrossing the world in a minibus. <laughs> so that's my background, I would say. Um, and now I'm taking that style and putting it into non-dancer environments. So taking the layering and looking at it, not so much as a, as a way to perform, um, but as a way to think about body mapping and the homunculus. And then I start getting into like the brain and like how focusing on this body part that we wouldn't usually focus on could enhance that part of your brain and through use 
because that's how the brain plasticity works. So I'm very into like geeking out on how I can take tribal fusion belly dance and um, help non-dancers with it. So it's, it's been quite a shift and it took a serious injury and everything being thrown into question for that to happen um, because I didn't actually know if I would dance again because my pelvis was fractured uh, in four places. Oh my gosh. And I was like, wow, a belly dancer with a fractured pelvis. Well, I guess that's my career over then. Um, but no, I decided it wasn't my career over. It was just a change in direction and um, here I am. <laughs> wow, what a story. Mm. I, I love the idea because I was just thinking about this the other day. It was from the book Exuberant Animal. I don't know if you've read it. I've heard of it, but I haven't read it yet. He talks about this idea of like, you know, romance and precision. Uh-huh. Right. <clears throat> and I feel like he he kind of says that like we should like use romance, which is kind of being macro and being playful, mm-hmm. to kind of like use that as like among many things, but like an opportunity to like get the feedback for like where we want to like focus our precision. And once we've spent some time on precision, returning back to romance and letting everything kind of like yes. basically move and groove and then come back into like precision. Nice. And I was thinking about that. And, you know, I feel like when I look around, I see like a lot of precision. Yeah. Yeah. Not a lot of romance. Mm-hmm. And if it gets to romance, it's precision came first. Mm-hmm. When I like the idea of challenging it and be like, well, what if you start with romance? Mm. But if you start bigger and kind of like nice. feel the things, feel the feels, you know, and I, and nice. I love that, you know, integrating that into like the rehab settings, like not forgetting that it's, that it, that it, that there's romance to complement the precision. Absolutely. I mean, it's joyful and it's joyful and passionate and seeing people who, who kind of step into the, the session, um, completely unsure of what on earth we're going to do because they're used to protocol and rehab because many of the people I work with have been in rehab for a long time already because it's neurological disorders or you know stroke Parkinson's um, back pain mm-hmm. and my the physiotherapist I co- collaborate with will send me his people and say okay try this with Sam and they're like but what is it and he's like you'll see because we can't really put it into words I have to call it Pilates, but it's not Mm -hmm. because you have to give it a name. And if I just called it movement, yeah, they want to, they want a label. We like labels. Mm -hmm. So I call it Pilates, but it's just free exploration and I follow my intuition and um, it's working. Like the feedback we're getting from their neurologists or surgeons, just like, I don't know what it is you're doing, but you keep doing that with Sam because changes are. So we're onto something like I'm very excited about bringing this uh, into more clinical environments and mm-hmm. um, and the squeaking you might hear is <laughs> little Ava. Are you having a dream or are you waking up? <laughs> I just, I was just yeah. thinking, I was just thinking that I realized this is actually my first time having two people on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, when I was talking to John and Jeremy the other day, they said, I think this might be the youngest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. The youngest person we've had on yet. Um, yeah. when, I, when you were talking about the, the work you're doing, again, not to just keep bringing it back to something that I read, but I do remember 
reading the the brain that changes itself yes i love that book and the brain that and, heals itself also mm -hmm. you read that is that one also too? by no is that also yeah, by norman doidge too but it's um there's a lot on parkinson's in there mm -hmm. and i work a lot with parkinson's so the brain that heals itself is the one i reference patients to the most mm -hmm. absolutely incredible mm -hmm. what we can do through through movement yeah, I was thinking about how like oftentimes, I think the one I was thinking about was like a stroke victim mm -hmm. in the book. And it was like the idea that, you know, our systems and systems that are based often on protocols have like this ceiling that they've decided is like, this is about as good as anybody's going to get. Mm -hmm. Right. And then mm -hmm. I forget the story, but it was someone was like, well, you know, my dad who had a stroke just kind of seems like a child. So maybe I'll just start with like doing the things that children would do. And he put like knee pads on him and made him crawl around in the garden and tossed him balls and things like that. And, and the progression was pretty amazing. Yeah. You know, the guy ended up becoming, going back to rock climbing or something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I was just thinking that like, you know, we have these, these ceilings, but they're, they're ceilings that we kind of invent. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I like, and I admire that you're like challenging where those ceilings in some mm -hmm. ways. Yeah. I mean, what's normal, you want to get someone back to normal functioning, but, but what is normal and what if normal wasn't joyful and wasn't free and yeah, the, what you just explained is the way that I work with, I work with a lot of older patients and, and the Parkinson's and stroke, and it's all through play. And for for all of them so far, it's been the first time they've thought about approaching their rehab in a in a playful way. Um, yeah, we do balls and Jenga. So this is where the fighting monkey comes in, because mm -hmm. everything I've been learning through them, I'm applying directly to the to the clinic. So every session is different. Like nobody knows quite what to expect each time, and that keeps them engaged and yet still progressing the way we want them to progress and still getting more confidence and because the problem that i'm seeing within like the play realms and the fighting monkey practice is like okay how do we then bring this into a clinical setting like how can you bring something non-linear into a very very linear place right. and this is uh, my job right now is trying to bridge that gap from like completely random chaos to mm -hmm. okay there, there has to be some kind of progression that we can see and that they can feel and that they're suddenly able not suddenly but over time able to pick stuff up off the floor if they haven't been able to do that for years or i have one lady who's in her 80s who can now balance on one leg with her eyes closed and i don't she said she don't think she's ever been able to do that in her life and she's doing it now <laughs> And it's like, yes. And that's just through gentle coaxing <laughs> mm -hmm. through play and not necessarily explaining what the goal is in each session, but just getting into it and seeing, seeing what comes out. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So I'm starting this collaboration with a guy called Luke Davis, who runs back to roots and he is a chiropractor and he's very much from the evidence-based science side and the way we met was through one of my online programs that he bought because he's very open to trying anything and being the only dancer in a room 
uh, being the only non-dancer in a room full of dancers. So he's he's totally fine with putting himself in those sort of situations where a lot of people wouldn't. So I was like, ah, you're you're interesting. And we we got this relationship going online. Um, and I explained what I'm doing in the clinic and how frustrated I am that it's just me doing this on my own and how, you know, I want to get it out to more people, to more practitioners, especially in the healthcare world so that we can change what's happening in the healthcare system. Mm -hmm. And so we've created a 12 week program together, this internship that starts next week, where we have 30 healthcare professionals from all over the world signed up for a 12 week internship where I will be teaching movement because some of them don't necessarily have a movement practice themselves or if they do they're not sure how to apply it with their patients and clients mm -hmm. and then we also have a load of movers and dancers and performers signed up who would like to know more from the science and evidence-based side of things how to explain why the things we do have the effects that they do or why things work so I can't necessarily do that because I'm not medically trained and I don't mm. read research papers because I find them really difficult I'm not you know I left school at 16 and I never went back so for me I find that side of thing very yeah it's just challenging if you're not used to that way of working I would prefer to be moving than sitting on my butt any more than I have to be yeah so we're putting the two worlds together so art meets science um, in order to change the system so all these people we have uh, Olympic gymnasts, we have chiropractors, we have physiotherapists, uh, pole dancers, movement coaches, and through sharing this and building this group, and a couple of people you have had on the podcast are within the group, so it's a group of very switched on, incredible people, and yeah, I'm really excited to see what comes out of it and, and how we can change the system from within. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I love it. I don't know. I'm so, um, I don't know. You're, 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 you're like speaking my language. These are the things that I feel like I, I, I sit with a lot. I feel like, I don't know. Again, it's like that precision and romance thing and we mm -hmm. disregard romance. We don't lead with it or, you know, we get caught up in like technique and forget the spirit. And mm -hmm. I think sometimes people forget that we've made it really, 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 really far mm -hmm. without the 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 words yes for the things yeah you know and and yeah. and the words help us have the conversations uh -huh. but they don't capture the infinity of all things you yeah know? and getting too caught up in the words like i was saying earlier can just take a lot of energy and not necessarily create a lot of action mm -hmm. so you know like arguing about a certain dance style for days and days instead of just getting out and, and dancing and moving and yeah I think it's it's a delicate balance mm -hmm. um, and I'm hoping that we can find that balance within within the internship mm -hmm. um, but what does romance look like to you like when you're teaching your your workshops romance is the like getting out of your own way uh-huh right the 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 not thinking the thinking can happen later uh -huh. right like just like directing awareness having sensations having experiences mm 
that's like the romance. And then like afterward, you can be like, well, if I could have done this thing when I played that game, maybe that's worth investing some time in. But that doesn't have to happen either. You know, to me, mm-hmm. it's um, yeah, the, the, the romance is like is, is the life. Right. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and the precision is like when we reflect on life. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that answers the question, but that's what I think about, like, you know, when I'm presenting and I, and I try to say to people, you know, this isn't my entire practice, like what I teach, mm-hmm. you know, this is like just something that I think is, is missing kind of similar to what, what you're going through. And yeah, yeah it's yeah. the, it's the, it's the, it's the metaphor for life piece. Like, let's get mm-hmm. to like the place where we, where we play or where we improvise or where we open form, whatever the word is, you know, mm-hmm. or description mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm because we often stop short of that. And that's like, that's where we get our feedback. And that's mm-hmm. where we like get to, you know, live, like do mm-hmm. the life thing. Um, and yeah, you come I, from a, you come from a, um, is it a theater background or? Mm-hmm. I did. I, yeah, I did theater. I went to theater school and then I dropped out to do stand-up comedy mm-hmm. and then started getting into like movement Mm-hmm. to almost basically come full circle yes totally <laughs> and it, it happens like my movement journey started in my 20 I did movement as a kid gymnastics and dance but I had some very um uh negative experiences with the teachers who you know had issues hurt people hurt people but that put mm-hmm. me off dance till I was tw- in my 20s mm-hmm. where I got into martial arts and then I did martial arts for a couple of years and then started belly dance and kind of forgot the martial arts. Um, but now I feel like with Fighting Monkey, that's come full circle. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, yeah, I remember. Uh-huh. There's like elements of that. It's like, huh. Now I'm at 41 years old. I'm going back <laughs> to uh-huh. my root. Well, it's yeah. almost like you, before you can think about it, like, you know, I don't know. It's like, you know yeah. what it is. Yeah. Like you can sense it, but you can't put words to it. And because you can't put words to it, it's almost like you got to travel to like all the things that have the words to almost come back around and be like, oh, that thing that like, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. resonated with me. Now I, I kind of understand what that is, or maybe I fully understand it, but like that was, mm. that was the magic. Yeah. And the theater, oh. I think really feeds into movement teaching. I think mm-hmm. it's a really useful tool. I did a, a tiny bit of um, theatrical studies in, clowning and um thomas pratke have you heard of him he took over the lecoq performing arts school in paris and then started up his own school in london and thomas changed the way i taught dance completely like i went away from that with a completely different outlook on how to make a room feel safe and Mm. how to read the energy in a room and i had been teaching for a while at that point but yeah the experience well the games like that was the first time really getting into games as well and that had me hooked and then from there I looked into like clowning and and then bringing those games into movement workshops and and dance workshops also to help people with performance skills or performance anxiety mm-hmm. um yeah and it's a huge huge tool in my box yeah I think um I, I integrate in so much theater stuff and I don't even realize, you know, it just mm-hmm. like happens mm-hmm. because it's, because ultimately like we're practicing communication, I think, mm-hmm. right. We're like learning how to communicate with ourselves, 
with other people and with the environments that we're inhabiting, mm-hmm. right? And the more information we have, the better we can communicate with these things. Mm-hmm. And so much of theater is communication. You know, it's like the, you know, like dance, it's like the practice of communication. Yeah, I feel, and I still feel way more comfortable performing on a stage in front of like 2000 people um, than speaking in a public place mm-hmm. with my voice. Like that's just something I always, I think that's why I fell for dance. Cause it's like, oh great, I don't have to speak. I can, <laughs> I can communicate another way. But um, the, the Fighting Monkey mentorship really helped me realize that you cannot not communicate so I've always thought no I'm not good at communicating I'll just dance I'll just move and that's my thing and it's like yeah but even if you're not communicating with someone you're communicating something and it's like ha ha wow <laughs> yeah big part of the last part of the intern of the mentorship is voice and using mm. the voice and I was absolutely petrified about that point in the mentorship but actually I'm it was ki- fine it's it's showed me um how important using my voice is and in communicating with my family also and helping my children communicate and not necessarily with words but through movement also i just finished reading a book called child space mm-hmm. um it's feldenkrais based by a woman called shelhav from israel and it's about the first two years of infancy and how the brain is developing and how we can help or hinder as a parent their development but then through reading that book and you know about brain and and neural neurons and mirror neurons and ways that i can help her map her body through using touch um also translates to everyone else i work with so it's not just infants like adults need this too mm-hmm. so communication rhythm touch uh, balance coordination like it's all the stuff that I do with older clients too so as I was reading this book I was like yeah and for adults like not just babies mm-hmm. um, yeah it's, it's it's taught me a lot about communication the theater teacher that you worked with yeah and you'd say that he like fundamentally changed how you how you taught and especially when it came to like creating safety Mm-hmm. What what were some of those things that 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 you noticed or that you you stole? I think it was the way that he pulled things out of people that I never would have expected, mm-hmm. because they felt safe enough to to go there. Like the way that he encouraged them. I think you you'd probably know these these games like yes and, where mm-hmm. you just keep encouraging more and more and more. And I would watch like one of the shyest people in the room, like very petite tiny French girl, like the stuff, we had to pretend we were our favorite dish mm-hmm. and and like embody all the ingredients and use sound and movement. Mm-hmm. Um, the course was called the poetic body. And the stuff that he got her doing in the end, she was a, a gratin, which is like a, a baked dish in France. And this gratin uh, suddenly we in the audience like watching her we were all like long lost lovers or we had all like done something terrible to her and she's just like screaming at us all and swearing and 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 you blah 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 and you no 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 and it's just like wow where did that come from 
<laughs> and it's because he, I think he stu he studied a lot of psychology also, and he knew like how far to push, and he just always had the right games to to pull out or, um, yeah, just to keep us safely journeying. I remember we literally had to do a journey through the room where we would go over rocks and through rivers and. Um, I remember getting to one point in this metaphorical journey where I couldn't go any further and I couldn't do what he was asking me to do just because I was completely blocked mentally. And I remember he told me to go home that evening and drink a bottle of wine, <laughs> have a good cry and come back the next day and carry on. And I did, and it worked. I did things I never thought I would do. Um, mm. And the meeting Yosef reminded me a lot of, of Thomas Pratke. There's something in the way that the two of them, this childlike, joyful, never ending, boundless energy to, to just like pull, pull that out of people and working, working with people like that reminds you of this childlike way of approaching the world that we lose because we grow up and we have to pay taxes and we have to do paperwork and, and things can become a grind and we can forget about that joyful, creative, childlike view of things. And that's something I think we need to practice. And most of us are not given the opportunity to practice. We're not put in that kind of situation. And a lot of dance workshops can be very serious also and not playful and joyful. Um, so my mission after working with Thomas was no I'm going to bring that into every workshop that I teach to make people feel safe and give them the permission to play mm. because taking yourself too seriously kills creativity dead mm -hmm. I've, I've been there myself and put too much pressure on myself and aimed for perfection even though that doesn't exist and yeah, I think yeah, approaching things with more playful abandon is where the magic happens. And that's, yeah, that's what I try and bring to patients also because they've been through enough with their injuries and their, and their yeah, diseases. Hmm. Hmm. I was say so I was taking a, a kind of like a class once with some people and we were being led by another teacher through kind of like a game like moving on the floor a little bit and mm -hmm. at one point they asked like everybody like oh like what are you how are you approaching this and everybody was talking very kind of like clinical I would say like it was mm -hmm. like oh I'm researching or I'm I'm you know experimenting like words like this you know and I, and I don't dislike those words and I said oh I'm I'm approaching this playfully and they said, well, why playfully? Like, why use that word? And I just said, because it gives me permission to like take risks mm -hmm. for me. And all those other words, maybe that does that for you. But playfully is how, mm -hmm. how I feel like I have to do it to like take risks. Mm -hmm. And the person who was teaching kind of jumped on me for like using that word. Because mm. I said that the other words kind of make me feel like I need to stay like that I need to right. almost like do it right. Yeah. yeah. I have to like do it with like Get a correct right. way that, yeah. that there's an answer. Yeah. And I'm like playfully allows me to just like keep asking questions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it was a really critical moment. It stays with me because I'm like, it's important. It's, per it's important for people to be playful. 
mm-hmm. and and to feel like they can take risks because when we're not taking risks, we're just trying to win a game mm-hmm. and we're trying to play our game. Mm-hmm. And none of us are trying to get cast in a show mm-hmm. or try to win a, a competition. Yeah. Yep. You know, life is playful. Like the mm-hmm. way everything else exists is very playful, you know, like the way the roots move through soil is like a playful way of like navigating. It's just kind of like oh, yeah. over yeah, yeah, and under yeah. following it. And, and yeah, it's a, it's a shame when people get serious. I remember Alan Watts saying that he, he's not serious. He's sincere, mm. which I thought nice. was really beautiful. You know, mm-hmm. he's like, you know, we don't need to li- live a serious life, but we can live a sincere life. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think about watching that quite my, a bit. Watching my six-year-old play, when she's in it, like completely in it, it looks kind of serious. Like she's seriously in there and doesn't want to be pulled out and doesn't want to have to be told to do anything other than that thing that she's doing. <laughs> so yeah, I learn a lot from watching, from watching her. And I think, yeah, it's gone both. It's gone both ways. I think she's learned a lot from watching me rolling around since she was born. Um, she's very in her body. She's constantly moving. She never sits still. I'm kind of worried what's going to happen with school because that's frowned upon. They're supposed to yeah. sit still for hours and on, on end. But the same with this little one. She's only six weeks, but she's already very much pressing, pressing up, lifting her head, looking around. She rolled a couple of days ago, which I th- is very early, I think. She's very advanced. No, not really. <laughs> but I think the fact that I taught right until the end of my pregnancy, so I was rolling around with her in my belly, uh-huh. I, I think that's got to have some kind of effect on her proprioception or whatever before she even emerges because she's very mobile for someone so young. Uh-huh. Like I, usually a newborn, you can just put them down and they'll stay there. But this one, she moves on her back, like across the floor. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. I mean, already. that, 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 that means no. you, yeah, you, don't, you don't get that like baby break. No. But you, you, know, you think you're supposed to have like a year or something where you get yeah. to kind of like. <laughs> Before they start crawling and running. But no, she's already, she's already at it. <laughs> uh-huh. And there's no, but there's like, the beautiful thing about kids is like they do that like playing with deadly seriousness thing, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? Where it's like they're playing and they're so, but they're serious about it, but they're, you know, they're playing because there's no judgment. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. like if a, I always think like if a kid, like, I don't know, is like, I always think of like children, like waddling, if they're like yes. waddling through a playground yes, and they're doing something and they just kind of fall on their butt. Yeah. They get back up and just keep going. They don't think about it. No. Yeah. They think of it. Right, it's yeah. just part, it's just part of the game. Yeah. yeah. Whereas yeah, like yeah. an adult might fall on their butt and then kind of look around to see who saw them fall. Yes. And yes. that's like this very small and specific difference. Yeah. Yeah. When they start to realize that, that they could be judged or like that, the age, like before they know what shame or embarrassment is and mm-hmm. everything, they just run. That was one thing I did with them. Um, Thomas Pratke, there was an exercise where um, we would be partnered up and the, the person behind you would take hold of the pelvis and then you would try and walk forwards while they were pulling you back. Mm-hmm. But you could, it was like moving through mud kind of thing. And then mm-hmm. they would let go and you would just walk, but the, you would be walking from your pelvis. So it was like completely open, like mm-hmm. a toddler, 
Like when they're walking, everything's open. The arms are out behind them. The belly is fully presented. And then he's like, but look at old people. We do the opposite. So everything gets closed in the front and we hunch and we protect. And um, yeah, so watching, watching kids is just like, oh yeah, that. And then I, I transferred that to the stage. It's like, what if I walk on stage, not like a toddler, <laughs> <laughs> but with that feeling of having the pelvis open and and yeah you're just the immediately the audience are like ah okay they're comfortable because you're presenting yourself as comfortable and there's no doubt in what you're about to do mm -hmm. um and it was a small detail but it made a huge change in how in how confident i was on stage mm. yeah. do you use any of this work that you have did is it thomas pratke yeah are you are you using some of this in like the the clinical setting as well Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. People need to laugh. And a lot of the games just got us hysterically laughing. <laughs> um, yeah, the poetic body, y you want the people you're working with to feel that and it ties back to that romance. A lot of them have a negative relationship with their body. They've been in pain, or their body has failed them in some way. And it's kind of a battle. Mm -hmm. And my job is to get that relationship positive again and and to to realize how wonderful the body is and how things can go right again um with the right games or the right attitude mm -hmm. uh, i think it's having enough tools to have the confidence to to go in without a specific protocol or plan and to to follow what that individual is feeling that day that would be the irony, right? If, uh, mm. if you wanted to like, you know, facilitate playfulness, but then come in with a protocol. Right. Oh, <laughs> we're going to do this game. And it's like, but the room is not having fun at all. The energy yeah, exactly. Everybody out. stay still. I have a game you have yeah. to play now. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's definitely where experience and intuition comes in. And, and you can feel when the energy in the room is, is dropping and you have to change the game. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is it group? Yes. And sorry, is it, is it groups or individuals that you work with? Both. I'm doing small groups. Well, with COVID, uh, yeah, let's not even go there. Things, <laughs> things canceled, got canceled for a while. And I went online with patients uh, and groups. And then in the second lockdown we had in France, we kept the clinic open for group classes. So I carried on with my uh, in quote marks Pilates classes which mm -hmm. are not Pilates classes and um, one to one and two or three patients at a time depending on where they're at with their thing so if some of them have got really bad balance I, I will keep them just one to one just for safety mm -hmm. um, but for others who have been working with for a while I can start grouping them together um, because it's more fun working with other people also mm-hmm mm -hmm. But right now I'm on maternity leave. Uh, I go back next month and I, I had no replacement because nobody else is doing what I'm doing. So all the sessions just kind of had to stop, which is a shame. And I gave them homework and I have no idea if they've done it we'll see <laughs> when I get back. <laughs> uh. And homework could be as simple as just stand on one leg for a bit at some point in the day. That's it. But yeah, we'll see. 
we'll see if we have to start back at zero. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love I love that you were talking about how important like laughing is and and having mm-hmm. fun. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think it's like it can be stigmatized, as you mm-hmm. said, kind of like in dance circles, definitely in like movement circles. Like there's like this like you know don't laugh, don't have fun. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's like just insinuated. Mm-hmm. Maybe sometimes it's said point blank. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. But it's so valuable. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I taught a workshop at a um with a movement group that, you know, kind of has like their way. And at the end, one of the guys was talking to me about his experience. And at one point he he was like, and I had fun, kind of like with like a question mark. Like, am I allowed to say that? <laughs> oh, it's tragic. It is. And I said, I was like, you know, I read uh, something that a neuroscientist wrote about creativity and Mm -hmm. that, you know, joy, feelings of joy and creativity are are closely aligned. Mm -hmm. Right. So Mm -hmm. joy is often what they see in the brain or the experience of joy or happiness after some sort of create creative moment or creative output or creative experience definitely so it's and like you can this feel it. you can feel it after a good class yeah um yeah that doesn't surprise me at all yeah it's like this like evolutionary carrot dangling mm. right to stay creative to stay imaginative to stay innovative that like if you do it mm-hmm. there's this like there's this feeling on the other side i mean obviously we figured out ways to like turn happiness and joy to like a commodity that you can just like Mm -hmm. skip the creative step but Mm -hmm. it's important it's like a sign that like oh like learning happened or like i I discoveries or surprises in terms of exercise adherence Mm -hmm. if if they're not enjoying it they're not going to do it Mm -hmm. like they're not going to go home and do the repetitions of whatever exercise they've been given if it's if it's not interesting Mm -hmm. if it's boring i wouldn't do it so it's like, okay, how can we find a way to make, say they have to do some strengthening for their hip rather than give them a load of boring, repetitive, linear movements. I'll say, okay, take these objects, go home, put them down on what, you know, balance on one leg, put them down, pick them up, different heights, different ways. And then that way they're strengthening the hip without even really needing to focus on that because there's an external task. So task-based training is super effective in in rehab and in french they call it when, when they come in and they watch me work the other phys- physiotherapists they're like oh it's so ludic ludic is is play it's playful we're playing and then and you can kind of see them thinking huh because they're giving the standard do this many reps of this and because that's their what their training has been and that's why it's so interesting for me to come in as a non-trained physio and no limits really i'm not blocked into one method um because i've always been a bit anti-methods and to combine that with what they do i think for exercise adherence it's been amazing because people have like ah this is just a different way to look at what we were already doing um the fact that you've put a task in gives them clear like i think it gives clarity in the session but also in homework like if they're doing this at home Mm. it's like okay i have to take this object pick it up put it there or or 
yeah, the, the million or endless games that you can do with, with objects and tasks from Fighting Monkey or OMU. Um, I learned so much. And then combining that with the dance experience, it just, it marries well and we're getting nice results. Mm. Um, and yeah, I think joy is a huge part of, of people wanting to come back or wanting to carry it on on their own because that's like the ultimate goal is you don't want people to have to keep coming mm. for sessions for the rest of their life. You want them to feel excited enough that they will go and do it on their own or go and find friends to do it with off their own back and not have to keep coming into the clinic. That for us is like the end goal. It's not like selling 10 sessions and then you have to buy another 10 and you have to keep coming and it's only me who can fix you and no that's like the the opposite of what we're trying to do so much admiration for that <laughs> because i think that that's like i think that's something people struggle with a lot mm -hmm. you know if you know they have something they want to share but then ultimately because people need to keep making business. money or something mm -hmm. yeah business they yes. have to like basically in some ways our goal is almost to create dependence mm -hmm. but is that really what is mm -hmm. ideal mm -hmm. you know like i don't want to be dependent so why would i want other people to be dependent on me mm -hmm. right i would rather For teach sure. them the, teach them the fish so people exactly you know reconciling with that and being willing to like i don't know maybe live a simpler life and, and and allow people to to fish and be supportive mm -hmm. rather than being dependent or addicted to whatever it is that that you share or present mm -hmm. and it was the same in in dance i saw a lot of the the arguing over the style tended to go back to business and money and mm -hmm. this is my style and it has to be this way and it's these steps because i'm this is my business and you can't change it and that completely closed creativity for me. It's like, okay, well then I'm not gonna do this style because I'm not here for business. I'm not here for supporting a method. I'm here to express myself through movement. Maybe that's the reason I'm terrible at business and I don't <laughs> have an empire, but you know, I'm, fuck it. And <laughs> mm -hmm. um, But there is also the other side of of people wanting to come to the clinic because maybe that's the only human contact they have that week. So there is very much like the social, I can see why people keep coming back. So maybe it's not just a story of dependency because the clinician is saying like, I'm going to fix you with my passive treatment, but maybe there's also this, this need for human contact to be touched by somebody else or to be with other people in a room and so i do see that the value in that also uh, especially yeah. with covid and how touch was just like off limits and yeah uh, a nightmare well, so i think what you know kind of like what we're talking about a little bit is a lot of things that at most other times in history would have never been commodities mm -hmm. right like mm -hmm. being with people wouldn't have been a commodity yeah right learning to be in our bodies wouldn't be a commodity, mm -hmm. right? These would all mm -hmm. just be like parts of like the wisdom of the tribe, 
mm-hmm. that would have been like shared from ancestors to elders and elders to like Absolutely. to us. So yeah. it's um it's a difficult thing to look at when it's like, well, I don't know. I don't want only the people who pay me, for mm-hmm. instance, to be playful. Mm-hmm. Like I actually wish for a world where people are playful. So you're like, well, this is like something pe- everybody d- should have. Yes. So it's like this like dance of being like, well, you know, how, how, do you, how, to, how to reconcile with things that are like commodities that would have never been commodities in the, at yeah. pretty much any other time in history. Tragedy of the modern modern world and the, the way things have set up now. And then mm-hmm. you throw you throw a pandemic into the mix. And it's just like, oh God, <laughs> mm-hmm. now how are we gonna how are we gonna move together? Uh, yeah, like physically not allowed to meet up or travel or you know before before the pandemic I was traveling all the time to teach and meet people and and it's like keeping that energy up in a studio in my house on my own on Zoom is. It's nice, but it's not, I mean, we're very lucky. I'm not complaining like this technology is incredible, mm-hmm. um, but it's not the same as getting face to face with people. Um, mm-hmm. But then, yeah, I think get, getting this material to people who work with people has to be the way to to move forward. It's like to get that joy shared with as many people as possible. And I think starting with people who are in pain or who maybe have a negative relationship with their body, I think that's a great place to to start branching this movement stuff out mm-hmm. into the general population um, and to people who really, really need it. I mean, these are the sort of people who aren't going to sign up for a workshop because either they don't know it exists or, or it's just not something they would do especially like the older population that I work with. So I feel privileged that I'm in the position where I can introduce this stuff to them because they, where else would they find it? Mm-hmm. Um, and then through word of mouth, like that starts to travel and, and now teaching other clinicians and movement teachers. Mm-hmm. Like, I think this is the way to, to, to get it out there because just us on our own, uh, it's going to take too long. We haven't got time. <laughs> I think I, I think it's so important to like you know, especially like hearing you like reflect on it. It makes me think of um, my conversation with David Wilson. Yes, I love David. Uh, I'm such a big fan. Uh, I really. He's part of the internship. He's he signed up. Oh really? Yeah. Uh, I'm I such a big wait. fan. I'm such a big fan. But he was talking about accessibility. Right. And he was saying that, like, you know, you look out into like the vast social media movement sphere. Mm -hmm. And he was just saying, he's like, you know, I I look at a lot of things and I'm like, well, where do I begin? Mm -hmm. Like, where do I get to walk in the door here? Mm -hmm. You know, and and he's somebody who moves and does things and, you know, but like, you know, looking at certain things being like, oh, like I'm seeing some of the craziest things I've ever seen. Like where, yes, like, where's my gateway? How is this accessible to me? Mm-hmm. It makes me think about you said like you were talking about the population you work with and mm-hmm. imagining like the being in that situation and being like, well, where do I begin with yeah. this stuff? You know, absolutely. 
Yeah, yeah. And I think the fact that I came, I don't know if I would have seen things that way before uh, the accident. So before I was in a wheelchair myself and then had to go through Zimmer frame crutches and, and work my way back to performing on stage again. And I think that experience and trauma um, mm. gives me this empathy that I never could have had before, having never been injured before the accident. So now I can walk into a room and, and be like, yeah, I, w I, f I understand, like, because I was that person not long ago. Um, mm -hmm. And I know the, the pain and I know the psychological trauma that comes with not being able to do what you want to do. And yeah. No, David's awesome. Inspiring <laughs> guy. Uh, I'm, I'm a huge fan. I think he has great things to say about teaching as well. Definitely. Yeah. You know, I think he's there's there's like a lot of a lot of wisdom there. Mm -hmm. um, so that's exciting that he's going to be a part of uh, your internship. Yes. Yeah, and Jason Brown also he's in there. Oh, really? Yeah. Ah, oh, he's so great. I know. I can't wait. I can't wait. Some incredible people. Um, well, that's also an honor too that so many of these people mm -hmm. want to be a part of it, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think I think everyone can see yeah. that something needs to change. Like something's not working mm -hmm. in in either in exercise adherence or obesity rates or the the way that rehab works. Like things need to change, and I think by bringing all these worlds together in that space is is how we can start to create change and create this community of incredible people who are in a position to change. So they work in universities, so you know they can start to create change where it needs to happen. Mm -hmm. Like I wouldn't have access to universities myself, but Luke lectures in universities, so so yeah, it's really really exciting. You mentioned um, like just you've touched on your injury. I'm curious if you or if you feel okay talking about it a little more because I'm, I'm yeah, curious yeah. about that 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 story. Like what 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 happened exactly what was the accident and maybe like what was your i don't know arc to being in a wheelchair to like back to performing mm. so i was in uh i was teaching a pilates class in a, a studio here where i live and there was a um a kind of freestanding wall with mirrors on one side and a ballet bar and then on the back side was like a changing area with benches and coat hooks and stuff for people to get changed that thing unit thing weighed 900 kilos it turns out and we were at the bar doing a last stretch in a pilates class and the whole thing came down on us like started we were at the bar doing a stretch and suddenly the bar got lighter and i was like wait what's going on and i looked up and the mirrored wall was coming down oh, no. slowly <laughs> onto us like in slow motion so i tried to catch it um but couldn't hold it uh, four of us were trapped underneath, two got out, and luckily there was a dance class happening upstairs so they could come down and lift it up just enough for us to be pulled out. Um, yeah, so four of us were hospitalized for 10 days and all of us were in rehab for at least a year. And my injuries weren't even the worst. Um, but, so I took the 900 kilos onto the side of my pelvis. So it was like a side impact in, if you're in a car accident, mm -hmm. which is what they thought had happened to me when I got to the hospital. Um, 
so yeah basically the the pelvic bowl took all the weight compressed and something had to give so it kind of twisted and i got a triple fracture on the front pubis and a, a fracture to the sacrum on the back and it they didn't operate so it set that way so slightly twisted mm-hmm. um yeah one of the others she was almost paralyzed she had the crushed vertebrae pierced lung broken ribs another had a head trauma another had knee smashed the ligaments in her knee so yeah it was pretty serious and none of us have been compensated anything yet and it's nearly four years ago oh my gosh yeah so it's french bureaucracy we're fighting the the town basically so that's been ongoing (laughs) i I have to say when when you said that you had this injury Mm. just because you know i i i think i've followed you on instagram for a while now right and i would never thought that four years ago you had this injury like and when you when you said you had the injury, I, for some reason I immediately just assumed that it was like ten years, like a decade ago or oh, something. Oh, okay, yeah, no. Yeah, <laughs> wow. So I mean, that's very recent. Yeah, very recent. And in that time, I've done a hell of a lot uh, in terms of training, and I was very determined. Well, immediately after the accident, I was like, okay, I quit. I quit everything. I'm going to change route and do something completely different. This was a sign, you know, it was my <laughs> pelvis. I need to stop. But actually, I love teaching and moving too much, and there was no way I was going to quit. So rather than quit, I started searching around online, and that's how I found John. And through OMU, I found Fighting Monkey, um, FRC, and yeah, a load of other offshoots, and brought all the elements of that into my recovery. Um, So I was doing weekly sessions at the physio, but for the most part, it was me figuring out how to fix myself. Um, The worst injury actually was not really that, like I didn't really feel it in the pelvis as much as my left adductors. I think they snapped or something, like I felt that happen in the accident, but because I was never operated on, they never looked at it. Mm -hmm. So I've definitely lost like flexibility on the left leg so things are imbalanced and i can feel it but i'm working with it and just doing the best i can um i managed to have a baby (laughs) Mm -hmm. which wasn't sure which is why i waited had to wait like this long to have another kid because we needed to know if the pelvis was gonna manage the pregnancy and also the i wanted a natural birth i didn't want a cesarean um, and I had that. I had a completely natural birth with only breathing because I studied Wim Hof mm-hmm. <laughs> during my rehab. So yeah, all the tools that I explored during my rehab, I used on myself and now I use on other people. I think it's such like an inspiring story. <laughs> I'm, I'm so, and I, and I know a couple people who have gone through some things recently who... Mm. Not only I, am I going to tell them they should listen to your story, but I also am going to say that they should reach out to you. Yeah, yeah. Because definitely. there's um, there's like something in camaraderie, right? Mm-hmm. Like kind of definitely. No, I've had a lot people. of dancers reach out to me since saying they've mm-hmm. been struggling with this injury or that injury. And I will try and help them myself. And if I know I can't help them myself, I know who to refer them to because I've, I've made so many contacts in the 
rehab world now. Yeah. Um, well, I'd also recommend if they were in an accident doing the trauma therapy. So I did a lot of counseling also because of the type of trauma when you're trapped under or you're trapped under or in something is there's a specific kind of trauma. So mm -hmm. I also did a lot of reading on PTSD um, and a, the body keeps the score and all these classic books, uh, Waking the Tiger. Um, so I could understand more because the PSD was very present. Like if there was a sound or if something started falling <laughs> or if mm -hmm. my kid hurt herself, like my reaction was way over the top. Mm. And I never, I was never like that before. So there was definitely residual trauma there from, from what happened. Uh, so I would definitely recommend like counseling if, mm -hmm. if, if your friends have been in an accident, um, the mental side is as important as the physical recovery for sure. We can't separate the two. And people who come from dance too, it's this whole, there's this like big identity piece, mm. right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, like who am I if mm -hmm. I can't perform at the highest level, mm -hmm. right? Yep. Like what? And then we adapt. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, and, 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 and I think that it, sometimes it's almost like, and I've never, I don't come from the dance world, but mm -hmm. I come from certain kinds of performance and also certain places of movement where it's like, there's so much. Yeah, stand-up is terrifying, yeah. isn't it? It's terrifying. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure I have mountains of trauma from stand-up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, in, in certain realms of like movement or dance, it's just like, there is a some sort of like defined perfection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when you yeah, feel like you sure. can't meet that perfection, then you you know, you criticize yourself or you, you, you judge yourself and, re, you know, there's something beautiful about coming to, to terms with like imperfect is perfect. Like mm -hmm. we, you know, uh, you know, the, the cracks are like what make us unique. Yeah, exactly. You know? And, and somewhere like there's a way to like get to like celebrating that. Yeah. Our, our scars are our stories and um like the like your podcast like stories inspire other people um if sharing my story can help other people then you know that's kind of why i'm why i'm here and why i'm doing what i'm doing and um yeah yeah it was a it wasn't i wouldn't like while i i hesitate to say it was a gift because it's uh -huh. so fucking cheesy um, and it was horrible and <laughs> I wouldn't want to do it again. Um, I am happy about the direction that it forced me to force me to step back and look at my life and, mm -hmm. and was I happy really? And the answer was no. It's like, okay, so what, what do I need to do with all this knowledge that I have rather than just change career completely and forget everything it's like no how do I use what I have and feed it into a different direction and I decided that it was it was helping other people was the route that I wanted to take because so many people helped me after the accident like there was a huge crowdfunding thing done in the dance community it raised thousands of dollars um, the the physios I work with were amazing um, 
yeah just the support from friends family and people i didn't even know it's like okay then you know you want to you want to give something back when you've been through that mm-hmm. um because underneath it all people people are good yeah people are really good you wouldn't yeah listening to the media and and all the stuff that's happening right now with vaccines i don't want to bring them up but you know all this arguing it seems like very negative out there mm-hmm. but people people are good and people are doing the best they can do with what they have i i Hopefully. say that all the time i say that all the time <laughs> yeah. no and some people like to, you know get <laughs> angry not, not, <laughs> i always say people are doing the best with the information that they have yeah you know people just have different and, and information is like i don't mean it by knowledge i mean information by being like experience like everybody's yeah. like yeah. Nobody wants, I think there's like a small, tiny, tiny fraction of people who are deliberately mean or hurtful. Yeah, 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 you they're know? in the minority. Yeah, it's actually everybody's just kind of doing their best. Yeah. And they, yeah, they, I don't know. They're doing the best they have with what they've got. I think Brene Brown said something like that. They're doing the best they can. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like when you when you approach people with that mindset, it's like a... You know, that's, that's, I think that's like genuine compassion, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I don't know, it's nice to talk to you and hear somebody who, who seems to me to be like doing that, you know, and yeah, also doing, doing the best I can, <laughs> Yeah, <I've> got. <laughs> but also treating people that way, you know, like yeah. knowing that everybody's doing the best they can, Yeah, you yeah. know, and, or that they're, they're doing the best with what they have. And that's, that's mm-hmm. important because sometimes people are are made to feel like they're not enough when it's like everybody is they all have yeah, enough and, yeah. they're, and they're awesome in the moment that they're in mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah for sure what do you think about that eva <laughs> are you doing the best you can with what you have I mean, she's definitely doing the best she can she's doing awesome yeah she's so cute too her eyes waking up super zen i'm just i can't quite believe how zen this baby has been hmm? she's beautiful through... you both have the same hairdo yeah we do <laughs> <laughs> i just cut all my hair off so yeah we yeah. do right now <laughs> yeah well, well hope i mean people after they listen to this will have to go to your instagram to be able to see a photo maybe of her or something because yeah i've got pictures of her feet on there uh, because i'm geeking out on her feet oh I haven't shared her face. I don't know how, I don't know. I don't know if I would, if it were me, no. but that's me. Yeah. yeah. It's not really, my my Instagram isn't really baby picture focused. <laughs> yeah. We also don't know what it looks like in the future when you like share photos exactly. of like, what that, that what that means. Yeah. It's going to be lots yeah. of kids suing their parents in the future. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. No, I used to share pictures or well, I used to share videos of moving with my now six year old when she was tiny because I felt that that could inspire other people to move, like get on the floor and move with their kids. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, if it's like movement focused, then yeah, I'll share stuff and hope mm-hmm. that she doesn't sue me when she's old. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it means. I think there are lots of uh, repercussions that we're going to witness from all like the. I mean, that's because it's so abnormal. It's a thing that like that would yeah. never existed before, where it's like this like progression of a child's life being like yeah. out there to yeah. like the world for like yeah, yeah. from the beginning. 
Yeah. You know, I remember life before mobile phones, man. Me too. I miss mm -hmm. it every day. Mm -hmm. I miss it every day too. Used to be able to lose people at a festival and now you can't. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I remember I used to just like walk out the door with like nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Just like, I didn't, I don't even think I, I remember the most exciting day was when I actually got like my own set of keys to the mm -hmm. house. Yeah, I was yeah. like, Oh, I have, I got to have like a keychain. Yeah. <laughs> and put something cool on the keychain. I was like, that was, that was the yeah. iPhone. Now it's like a thing to intentionally leave your phone at home and go for a walk. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, it's the thing you have to make a point of doing. Yeah, things have changed. I when I talked to to Joseph Bartz, mm -hmm. um, he was talking about like taking like a month and not using like Google Maps, mm. or taking a month and not using like any like um fake light like no light bulbs oh wow you know and like only using like natural light for a month and nice. these are like uh interesting things even just to like yeah you know create different perspective definitely mm -hmm. yeah 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 no we we did a lot um we talked about that a lot with yosef during the mentorship mm -hmm. and it was like in, yeah intentionally going out without knowing where you're going and trying mm -hmm. to get lost and um yeah there's there's a lot to it i do make a point now of, of leaving my phone at home as long as i've got the little one strapped to me i can do that because <laughs> 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 if anything happens i i can't be very far from you yet can i have have you ever read the book the the art of is no but i've read free play is yeah is that next it's the same author so yeah yeah it's so good and in some ways it's like a little Jason bit of like sent me it he, he he recommended it because i put free play on the the reading for the syllabus of the internship mm -hmm. uh -huh. to try and get people thinking about improv in that way mm -hmm. and i also think free play um is a is a it kind of includes everything that i feel fighting monkey is also mm -hmm. in a book uh, a lot of it like chimed with what I was studying with Yosef. The art love. of is, how is that different to free play? I, you know, I read free play a while back and to uh -huh. me free play was, I don't know, maybe if I remember right, free play was like more about like from the perspective of an artist, like mm -hmm. working in improvisation. And I would say the art of is was about like living for everybody. Mm. Yeah, I think that mm. if I remember right, that was kind of a difference. I, I, I just, I love them both. Like, I think they're mm -hmm. both like. Totally yeah, I bought reading. Free Play like 15 years ago mm -hmm. and promptly didn't read it mm -hmm. <laughs> or, or like dipped in and out of it. And and then I went back to it recently and I was like, ah, oh, yeah. And this ties into that whole full circle thing again. Mm -hmm. and it was all the stuff that I've been teaching myself or thinking about in working at the clinic and uh, what improvisation is like it's not just in the studio it's also in how we parent and how we cook and how we move through through life so yeah the moment we but, wake up exactly yeah <laughs> yeah i think that you know the art, if you like free play art of is is like yeah i'm gonna get it and it's so i don't know there's something about kind of like learning to like 
celebrate imperfection and impermanence that I think is really important because mm. I think that we like in so many places are almost kind of being led in the opposite direction mm-hmm. right oh yeah things need yeah. to be perfect and we also need to never let them go yeah and they need to stay exactly as they are mm. and there's something about that that way that's like everything is ephemeral in varying degrees everything changes yeah and everything's changing and mm. and and what makes things beautiful is often like not the straight lines. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So yeah, if you re- if you read it, maybe we'll uh, we'll do a little book club on it. Yeah, no, that'd be great. You have to read Free Play again, though. I will read Free. I mean, those two, I would <laughs> I would gladly read both of them again. Yeah, maybe we do that. We like yeah. we we both read both. the other one and then read Meet for it. Yeah. <laughs> if um Deal. if people. If people want to um, connect with you and, and see what you're up to, what's the best way to do it? Uh, Instagram is where I'm most active. I think I've pretty much left Facebook without actually officially canceling my <laughs> profile. I'm just, I never go there. Um, well, except when I have to for like groups, when I'm training, there's always a Facebook group you have to be part of. So I can't cancel Facebook as much as I would mm. like to. Um, so yeah, Instagram, Samantha Emanuel 23, um, Emanuel.com. shoot me an email, um, check out the B2R internship. It's sold out for this year, but we're doing another round in 2022 for any movement professionals who are curious. We have, uh, all the questions on the website. Um, the FAQ. I think we cover everything. It's very thorough. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah. Come to France. We've built this, this house with a studio and we have tatami mats in the main room and a huge deck out front and, uh, fully planning on doing some retreats when COVID is, is, I don't know what's going to happen, but when COVID doesn't restrict us from moving, quite as much as it currently is. Um, definitely some retreats in Burgundy, eat good food, play, mm-hmm. <laughs> enjoy good weather. So that's going to be a thing in the future. Amazing. Well, I'm going to, uh, hopefully in 2022, jump on the, the, the internship thing because yeah, it sounds man. wonderful. Yeah. You'd be very, very welcome. Amazing. Mm, um, thank you.